Would you please open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 7? Thank you, Richard, for reading Psalm 51. Um, I've been reading that psalm every day this week, and it's really kind of done a number on me. You know, this idea of forgiveness is something that's so wonderful, but it's something we don't think about really often, I don't think. And tonight, we're going to read a passage from the Gospel of Luke that, that deals specifically with forgiveness in a way that many of us maybe have never experienced. Or maybe we have, but maybe we've forgotten about it. It's the story of Jesus anointed, being anointed by a sinful woman, starting in verse 36. And now one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him. So he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. When a woman who had, been, who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, She began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house and you do not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, Who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Would you please pray with me? Lord God, we come before you now asking for special revelation. Teach us what this passage means, and not just for us and for our own hearts, Lord, but how we care for one another, how we love one another, Lord, how we engage in your kingdom. Lord, give us truth and nothing else. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, we have in this story sort of two parts. And the first part is one that we would consider a very awkward exchange at a dinner party, right? I mean, an unexpected guest shows up at this Pharisee's house. And not only is this guest a sinner, as we see, but she begins to wash the feet of this guest, weeping at his feet. I mean, it's a very uncomfortable exchange. In verse 36 to 39, Jesus goes to this Pharisee's house. He's invited to dinner. The Pharisee obviously wanted to talk to him. People early in his ministry are just wanting to get a handle on this guy. 
And word is getting out, and as we saw in Mark chapter 2, people are ripping apart roofs to get to him, and this woman decides that she's going to show up at this Pharisee's house because she needs to see Jesus. And this person is someone who lived a sinful life. The word here is very simple. It's just exactly what it says. It is an adjective to describe someone who does not live by the law of Moses. And so to the Pharisees and the Orthodox Jews, they were sinners. The description of this woman is all that Pharisee knows of her. And maybe he knows more, maybe he knows her actual name, but, but he just labels her a sinner. Which, by the way, you'll notice that Jesus never calls her. And we don't know the sin, but we know she had some money. She had an alabaster jar of perfume. And I read a lot of different little things, and no one can really quite agree on how much this thing would have been worth. But she had means. She had some money. And she did not live according to Jewish law. And begins to do something that would make any of us uncomfortable. You know, in, in, in sort of biblical times in the first century, these tables were sort of the center of the room and people would recline at them with their head towards the food and their feet would sort of be arrayed out almost like a sun. And so all these people are sitting around in a circle and so this woman comes up sort of behind Jesus and starts doing this act that would have made me very, very uncomfortable. Um, I confess that when I first moved here, I heard that um, on Good Friday... Sometimes there has been a foot washing service in the Anglican church across the street. Um, I, I probably won't go to that. Um, you know, unless there is some major movement of the Holy Spirit, we probably won't ever do that in here. Um, I think feet are disgusting. I think uh, this story actually, just the physical situation, one of the things I love to do in scripture is I try to put myself there and I just get grossed out every time. <laughs> But think about this. Aside from the feet thing, which I eventually can get past, it's just, it just takes me some time. Aside from that, imagine being in that room and seeing this woman, because she wasn't just washing his feet in, in honor. She was weeping. And in a room like this, if she would have started pouring out a whole jar of perfume, you would have smelled it. You know, just today I was meeting with some young adults actually preparing for our missions trip, and one of them was a little stinky, and so he decided to spray some of that Axe body spray. And the whole office building smelled. And I'm thinking, I'm not going to say his name, but I'm thinking, why in the world inside? You know, go outside, do us a favor. No one else wants to smell that. I mean, imagine being at this dinner, and, it's, and this woman comes in and is, is weeping at his feet and dumps this perfume all over his feet everyone would have seen everyone would have noticed and not only that but this was very improper right some of you may have heard this that for a woman at this time to let her hair down in public was something she would usually only do in front of her family in front of her husband and here she is in public not caring what people think but just wanting to clean the feet of Jesus she knows she is being judged she knows it. She has gone into this house, the house of someone who simply labels her sinner. And she says, I don't care. I need to be with Jesus. She goes humbly into the place of her enemies just to worship and honor Jesus. And so the homeowner, the Pharisee Simon, he sees this. 
And with one comment, he sort of mocks her and Jesus. He says, well, you know, if Jesus was really this prophet that everyone thinks he is, he'd know. But he doesn't know. Simon saw a sinner because he wanted to see a sinner. But let me tell you, many of us know this in this room, but being a Christian is not about being great. It's not about looking good in front of everyone. It's about what Jesus says and what Jesus does here. And so the first part is this awkward exchange, but the second part is exactly the reason why we need Jesus in our life. If you read again verse 40 and 40 through 50, Jesus was remarkably patient. You know, I suppose as the son of God, he had to be patient. But, but he always, whenever people confront him, whenever people disagree with him, he always sort of slows down the conversation and says, hey, let's talk about this. Let me tell you a story about a man walking down a road. Who is this man's neighbor? The story of the Good Samaritan. And in this situation, he does something very similar. He starts a parable. And I, as a side note, I can never really quite understand why Jesus is so patient with us when we're so judgmental and critical of others. It's just fantastic. But he has no trick, no hidden agenda. He just says, hey, let me tell you a parable. There's a guy and two people are owing money and he forgives both of them. Who's happier? Well, the guy that owes more money. Great. We agree, right? Deal. Good. But then he turns it on him once he's established that foundation in verse 44 and says, let me tell you the practical application of this. Let me tell you what you missed out, Mr. Pharisee, Mr. Teacher of the Law, Mr. Expert on the Law of Moses. When I came in, she welcomed me with a kiss, but you didn't. You who judged her looked down on her but completely missed who came into your room. You did not offer me anything for my feet. You did not offer any of this, and yet she has. Why is that? See, Jesus not only defends himself as a person of honor who deserves this thing as the Son of God, but he also in this lifts up this woman. Jesus defends her in the midst of a room as soon as Simon, I can feel safe guessing this, that as soon as Simon says a sinner, all the other ones were like, well, yeah, she's a sinner. Why is Jesus doing this? Let's see what his answer is. They probably never argued about the labeling of this woman as just being a sinner. And yet Jesus does something where not only he brings about truth, he also lifts this woman up and shows what really matters. Because of her great faith, she loved Jesus. And because of her love, she showed she was forgiven her sins and her faith saved her. You know, this word love, like I've, I've talked about many times, that we, we need more words, we need deeper words for love. But, but, but something came to me that I wanted to just sort of get off my chest. As a pastor, people always talk about this balance of, I don't know if you guys know this, but um, there's a book called Why Men Hate Going to Church. And, and, and there's a podcast that goes with it. And it talks about how the church around the world, basically, most Protestant and evangelical churches are about 60-40 women. You know, they're majority women. And people say, well, it's because the, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ has become so feminine. You know, some people might say, well, you need more masculine love in the church. You need more tough love. You need more, you know, beards and flannel shirts and things like this. And, and I'm serious. People talk about this. There was a, a guy who had a really famous rise and then fall who was believed in this stuff. But, 
fine, maybe that's how to get men to come to church. But some people say that the, the whole love of Jesus thing is so feminine and it's so soft and it's so emotional and lovey-dovey and they're not drawn to it. But, but it really bugs me when people make that distinction. It really annoys me when people say that I just don't relate to the whole Christianity thing. It's so overly sensitive and it's so mushy and all of these. Listen, I know I'm a crier, okay? Some of you may sometimes see me and think, oh gosh, he's starting to tear up again. I get that. I know I'm sensitive. But, but let me just say this to you, and, and, and this is a challenge to you, and if you have a problem with this, please bring it up with me, and I'd love to talk through this. If someone thinks Jesus and his love is not masculine enough or is not tough enough, or, or that this whole Christianity thing is not emotional and is not deep and doesn't make you want to fall at Jesus' feet weeping, then you're not the woman who's wiping his feet. You're the Pharisee calling her a sinner because you don't get it. We need to be falling at the feet of Jesus weeping. When we realize who we are and what we've done, we need to run to Jesus. I look at this story and I see love. I don't see a masculine love. I don't see a romantic love. I don't see a feminine love. I see pure love. The love that leads to brotherly love, that leads to sisterly love, that leads to romantic love. But it is something in its purest form that we struggle to understand. But when we see it, it brings us to worship. When we see it, it makes us want to fall at his feet. When we see this love, Jesus lifts us up from the position of being a sinner to who we really are. Jesus sees our actions and our desires and that we want to praise him even though we've sinned. And keep in mind, according to Psalm 51, we have not just sinned against one another, but we have sinned against God. So the question then becomes, how do we now, knowing these truths, respond to that forgiveness? Because there's an opposite, right? We could very well be that woman falling at his feet, but there's also these Pharisees. There's also these people who have closed closed themselves off to this love. And so my question to us is when we think about our worship of God, when you think about this idea of forgiveness, Have you loved much so that God has forgiven much? Have you acknowledged the forgiveness God has given you that you can go and love others? Like this woman who was willing to humble herself in front of those who judged and mocked her. She laid her very life down so that she might love her Savior. And if we do what is the measure used on us, then it should be infinite. Grace. It should be infinite forgiveness. As Jesus famously said, should I forgive seven times or seven times seven? And Jesus said, 70 times seven. Because there is no end to how much God forgives us. And it begins with this sinful woman going in love and in submission of the purest form and just wanting to wash her Savior's feet. And only then Only then, when you acknowledge this deep, deep love, can you stand to be the person God has called you to be. Only then can you fully love your brother, love your sister, love your spouse. This love we are talking about is more than we can understand, and this is why we continually go back to Jesus. It is perfect, and it has no end.
And as I said, it is the very foundation with which we live our very lives. And he tells the woman the same thing he offers us. Your faith has saved you. As the Apostle Paul famously wrote, for it is by grace you have been saved, not through works, so that no one may boast. Your faith will save you. Go in peace. But while this is a parable of grace and while this is a parable of forgiveness, it is also a parable of judgment. Because Jesus says to this Pharisee that we will be measured by how much we love. And because this Pharisee did not love and because this Pharisee decided to sit back and judge, Jesus never tells him his sins are forgiven. We hear it all the time. It's, it's right there in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Do we forgive? And I know forgiveness is hard. I know it's difficult because we see people who hurt us. We know people speak ill of us. People manipulate us. People take advantage of us. But we have not sinned against them. And they, even though it feels like they have sinned against us, first sinned against God. According to Psalm 51, which we read earlier, the psalmist says that he cannot blame other people because his sin is a sin against God in verse 4. And then he asks in verse 10, 11, and 12 to rebuild his heart, to create in him something new, restoration. And then, in verse 13, to go out and teach others to do the same. See, this is not, Christianity is not just for you and for the renewal of your heart, but for the renewal of the world. As I said last week, that this is a communal book. This is a book meant to be read and worshipped together. And if you have the humility to go to Jesus in your sin, in your brokenness, and fall at his feet, the psalmist encourages us and reminds us that he will wash us clean, that he will wash us with hyssop and oil and make us clean, that we can then go and share this grace with others. Part one, let me just remind you in case you've forgotten, the Pharisee, by the way, wasn't wrong. She was a sinner, and so were we. This woman lived in sin, but when she had the faith to love Jesus Christ, to go to him in purity of heart, she was forgiven. So if part, two is, if part one is acknowledging that you're a sinner, then part two is very simple. Just run to Jesus doesn't matter if you're in the Pharisee's house. It doesn't matter if you're in a place of brokenness, if you're in a place of hurt, if you're in a place of shame. Just run to Jesus. Sit at his feet. Fall more in love with him. Not romantic love. Not brotherly love. Not sisterly love. Find what the meaning of love is at the feet of Jesus. Sing, dance, weep, fall down, stand up. Do what you must. But then, once we do that, we understand what this love is, and then we go into the world and we share that with others that they find it as well. Because if we sit back and judge others like the Pharisee, the same will be judged according to us. That those who love little are forgiven little, according to Jesus. Part one is really awkward. We have to acknowledge who we are and what we've done and what we think. But part two is easy. Run to Jesus.
And it says in Scripture that he offers us forgiveness. Wonderful forgiveness. But it starts with you and God, and he gives you so much that you might give to this world. So we go and do likewise. And again, let me challenge you. Some people would say things like, you know, I'm just so sick of hearing, going to church, and just hearing about the love of Jesus. I've actually heard this from people. that I want to go through verse by verse through the book of Judges and have a good academic study. That's fine. You can do that. We can do that. Join a Bible study. We'll do it sometimes in here. But I never want you to be sick of hearing about the love of Jesus and how we need to run and rest at his feet. And so when you think about Jesus' forgiveness of you, I mean, it's very easy to think about sins, right? I mean, I can sit here and start thinking, oh gosh, yep, 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 five, six, seven, today, (laughs) this afternoon. (laughs) And we think, Christ has forgiven me, and he still loves me. So then if he has forgiven me and I am supposed to go and do likewise, then the question that gets really difficult is this. Who do I need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Maybe you need to forgive someone again. (laughs) Maybe it's someone you've forgiven once but it didn't really take (laughs) and resentment has started to build up in your heart again and you need to forgive them again. Maybe a third time. Maybe maybe a 33rd time. Maybe this week at work you need to go face-to-face with someone and and forgive someone who hurt you or just make sure they know that you love them. Maybe you need to just forgive someone in your heart. They're lost, they're gone, they're out of your life. But when you think of a situation, you think of that person, you get angry. The Holy Spirit has a fun way of, of bringing those people back into our lives sometimes, doesn't he? Think of how God sees that person that you need to forgive. Think of what God sees when God sees that person that you need to forgive, how God loves that person, how Christ died for that person. And our inability to forgive that person is a sin against the God we were just singing songs worshiping. And I once said this many years ago in a sermon, and, and I still believe it's true today, that a friend of mine has reminded me of many times. When we think of forgiving someone who harmed us, Maybe did something awful. I mean, maybe just something truly awful. Maybe we need to show them the forgiveness that God offers them. In fact, I know we need to show them the forgiveness God offers them because they need to see the love of Jesus more than we need an apology. It's okay. It's okay to forgive. I'm not saying set yourself up for pain or hurt again, but... But many of you know that when you harbor that anger and that resentment and you do not forgive to the measure that Christ has forgiven you, it hurts you. We've been washed clean by the blood of the Lamb, which is what we celebrate at this table every month. Our forgiveness and the forgiveness of those around us. I want to read you a prayer from an old monk from about 900 years ago. I want to read you this prayer and then we're going to go to the table for communion. So please pray this with me. I kiss your feet, dear Jesus. I press my lips to them. Because despite my many sins, despite the burden of guilt upon me, 
Despite my lack of discernment, I know that I have nothing to fear from you. I embrace your feet, Lord Jesus. I anoint them with the oil of my repentance. And as I crouch at your feet, I know that I am safe. Because you despise no one. You reject no one. You repel no one. You welcome everyone. And you admit everyone.